Okay, this morning I want to speak about a Savior that is born. And we're going to continue kind of in the vein we did last week with Pete Briscoe is going to speak with us a little bit as well. But the, the, the focus of this message today is God's love. And um, we're going to try to grasp God's love a little bit more today and, and how he accomplished the impossible. And that is restoring a relationship with mankind that was destroyed through a thing called sin and rebellion and choices and all those bad things. So we're going to talk about love. You know, love is really an amazing topic. It is the currency of heaven. Because if we don't have love, we don't have anything. We read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We all know this passage, one, the first three verses. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So do you see how important love is? you see how important it is in our motivation for what we do, why we do what we do? This passage tells us that I can speak all the right things. I can perceive and know all things. I can give all that I have away to the poor. And, and I can go through all kinds of hardships and difficulties and afflictions. But if I don't have love in the process, or if love isn't my motivation for why I do what I do, then I'm just making a lot of noise that nobody wants to hear. And I'm nothing of myself. And I gain nothing. In fact, I've lived a very long, hard arduous life for nothing if love isn't at the core of who I am and what I do. Now, what is love? What is love? That's what we're going to talk about today. Love is God. God is love. God is light. God is love. And, and having a relationship with Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us that relationship with a God of love. And so we're going to talk about how God was motivated to send his son to restore something that was broken and destroyed. So let's listen to the story of love from Pete Briscoe as he talks about a Savior is born, and then we'll pick up and talk a little bit more after he gets done. He's not known in the city streets. There's nothing about his face or appearance that would draw others to him. He lives as one without a home, migrating from hill to hill. He is as weathered and hard as the stony hills of Judea on which he tends his flock. His sheep know him. They recognize his face, follow his voice, respond to his touch. In the morning, he leads them out to green pastures. In the heat of the day, he rests them beside still waters. In the evening, he counts them, calling each one by name, attending to their wounds with oil and comfort. At night, he lies down in the mouth of the sheepfold, his body becoming the door, the only source of protection against the elements and enemies outside. His eyes are keen, able to scan the horizon by day and penetrate the darkness by night. His ears are sharp, 
alert to the sound of danger and the individual cry of a wandering sheep. His shoulders are strong, bearing the burden of the young and the weak who can no longer bear the journey. It is to him the angels come. It is to him the message is given, and he responds. Through the little town that knows not his name, from house to house he moves, bearing the burden of love, willing to share it with those who will listen. A Savior has been born, a shepherd who will give his life for his sheep, a lamb who will give his life for the shepherds. For the child of the stable is the shepherd of love. I live in a big city, lots of concrete and tall buildings and cars and airplanes and things, and so I don't see shepherds every day. But I saw one the other day. I was driving down the freeway, I went off the off-ramp and stopped at the traffic light at the end. A guy started walking towards my car. He had matted hair, he had dirt all over his face, his clothes were filthy, he had a bag over his shoulder. He kind of smiled, and there were gaps between his teeth. He had a little piece of cardboard and written on it, uh, was simply the words, I need food. He was homeless. And he knocked on my window asking for food, and honestly, he scared me a little bit. And that's kind of as close as I get to shepherds living where I live. See, the shepherds of Jesus' day were a little like that guy. They lived out under the stars. They didn't go to the temple because they were ceremonially unclean as a result of their profession working with animals. They were viewed as scrupulous. They were not allowed to witness in the courts at all. They smelled. Their teeth were probably rotted out. They had no families. They were, generally speaking, homeless people. So when we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, these words, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I can't imagine what was going through the shepherds' minds out in the fields that night. But those last words, for all the people, must have resonated with them. Because this message from the angels about the Messiah had come to them. The homeless guys, the dirty, stinky, smelly guys, the guys that weren't good enough to go into the temple. This, in and of itself, was a picture of God's grace. The fact that this message was for everyone, regardless of their social station in life. This good news was actually predicted hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. When he wrote in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9, You who bring good tidings to Zion, that little phrase, good tidings, the Hebrew word has a Greek equivalent. The Greek equivalent word is the good news, the gospel. You who bring this good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. <laughs> it's what the angels did that day. It's what Isaiah predicted. It's what he said would happen. In the text, Isaiah then goes on to describe this person who will appear, who is fully God. Describes him using two fairly clear images, a sovereign one and a shepherd. 
It says in verse 10, see, the sovereign Lord. The word sovereign Lord translates two Hebrew words, Adonai and Yahweh. The first word, Adonai, is an intensive form of master or Lord. It's used only of God in the Old Testament, emphasizing his greatness and his ultimate power and rule. Yahweh, the second word, is the personal name of God. It emphasizes God's personal presence with his people. So the combination of these names links power with love and transcendence with intimacy. And this sovereign Lord comes, the text tells us, with power. And his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him. And his recompense accompanies him. Recompense means blessings. His rewards and his blessings come with him. When Jesus was born in that stable, the angels proclaimed, Behold, your God. I know he doesn't look like it. But that little baby in that cradle... He's the sovereign one over all creation. And he comes with power in his hands. There's another analogy in Isaiah's passage as well. In verse 11 he says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Not only was Jesus announced to the shepherds, Jesus is a shepherd. Isaiah says that he tends his flock. When Jesus was a little older, he talked about himself in John chapter 10, verse 14. And he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. In the same text, he talks about the fact that he is the gate. He is the gate by which people come into the family of God. I don't know if you know this about shepherds in the ancient world, but in, in the evenings at night, they would pen their sheep in, keep them close. Uh, they would put rocks up and things like that, and they would usually leave an opening for the sheep to get in and out. This was the gate. They didn't have anything swinging there to protect the sheep, so what the shepherd would do is he would lie down across the gate. He would protect them so that if any wolves or lions or bears wanted to get in and eat his sheep, they would have to go literally through him first. This is the way Jesus protects us. He guards us as he tends his sheep. Isaiah goes on to say that the shepherd gathers the lambs in his arms. The lambs represent those who are weak. They cannot keep pace. The young, the old, the feeble. He carries them close to his heart. This part of the text is talking about the one who falls back, the one who can't keep up. And it says Jesus grabs these lambs and holds them close to his heart. Do you feel like that? Is that you today? Be encouraged by this text. Jesus gathers us in gently. The text also tells us that he leads those that have young. It could also be translated those that are large with baby, those that are about to have children or recently given birth. And so they are in a weakened state. He's obviously concerned as a shepherd for the young and for the mothers of the young, for the offspring of the flock and the children and the newborns. In John chapter 10, verse 3, this is said of Jesus. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. If you've ever been to England or Ireland and you've gone out in the countryside and you've watched the shepherds, of the British Isles, you will usually see them with sheepdogs. 
And what they do is they drive the sheep, usually against the will of the sheep, to where they want them to go. The dogs will nip at their heels and they will push them to where they want them to go. But if you go to the Holy Land, you'll see a completely different scene. You will see shepherds walking out in front and their sheep just voluntarily following them. The shepherds in the Holy Land are much more gentle with their sheep than those are in the British Isles. And this is the picture of Jesus. He leads us. And because of his gentleness, because of his loving kindness in our life, we want to follow along with him. So Jesus leads us along. Now this happens in our life today. Jesus guards our life. He's laid down his life for you and for me. And he protects and cares for you moment by moment. One of the ways he does this is he warns us of danger in his word. When I was a little guy, I grew up in England. And I was playing with my friend Andy one day, and my dad came out and said to us, Boys, I don't want you jumping over the wall at the end of the yard. Now, Andy and I had never noticed the wall at the end of the yard until my dad told us not to go over it. So as soon as he turned and walked away, we looked at each other and went straight for the wall, flipped over the wall to the other side, and were just basking in our disobedience. The grass wasn't any greener on the other side of the wall, but we were having a good time anyway until we heard a snort really loud, deep, rich snort. I looked at Andy and I said, Andy, was that you? He looked at me and he said, I thought that was you. And we turned around and over our shoulder, we saw the biggest, nastiest bull we had ever seen. And he was not happy we were in his field. I set two world records for seven-year-olds that day. I, I did a 40-yard dash in about 2.2, and I cleared a five-foot wall in a single bounce, only to find something more terrifying on the other side. My father standing there with his arms crossed, looking at me, saying, Peter, sit down sat down obediently a couple seconds later andy came flying over the wall andrew sit down he sat down next to me my dad sat down in the grass and he looked at me and i'll never forget what he said he said boys the reason i told you not to go over the wall is because i knew there was something on the other side that would hurt you i wasn't trying to spoil your fun i was trying to protect your life and never missing a teachable moment my dad said and you know what when you read in god's word when god tells you not to do something when he paints a boundary for you, he's not trying to spoil your fun. He's telling you that because he knows there's something on the other side that will hurt you. Jesus guards our lives, and one of the ways he does it is by getting us in his word so that we can read the warnings that he's given us there. But Jesus also gathers us in. He holds those of us who are weak and falling behind close to his heart. A few months ago, I was going through a really tough time. I was feeling very lonely, very alone. Um, I was actually very sad one day, sitting in my office at work, uh, kind of feeling like no one loved me. I was having a bit of a pity party. And one of my staff members, who's not really like this, knocked on my door and said, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, sure, come on in. And he said, I feel really weird doing this. I don't do this kind of thing very often. But I was spending some time with Jesus this morning, and he really impressed on my heart that I'm supposed to just come in and tell you I love you. He said, okay. So I said it. I'm going to leave now. And very awkwardly, he walked out of my office. And I just sat there. And I, I didn't hear I love you coming from Barry. I heard I love you coming from Jesus. Jesus prompted him to say that. And what Jesus was saying to me is, I know you feel desperately alone, but you're not. You're not. I love you, and I sent Barry to tell you that. That's how much I love you. So he cares for those of us who are falling behind, who are hurting and weak. And he also guides us along. 
Jesus guides us along day by day. At a time I was struggling again recently, um, I was concerned about some storms in our church. And uh, I opened God's Word and I was reading through Mark's Gospel with my son. And so I was reading through Mark chapter 4. And I came to the story where Jesus calmed the storm. And he was sleeping there and the disciples were terrified and the waves were crashing over the boat. And they woke Jesus up and said, don't you care that we're about to drown? And he looked at them and said, oh, you of little faith, you remember the story. And then he stood up and he said, be still. And the text says in that moment the waves stopped and the wind stopped and it was like And as I'm reading this story, Jesus is saying to me, you know what? I can quiet the storms. I did it literally. I did it physically. And what I did on that lake that day, I can do in your church. So just entrust it to me, O ye of little faith. And I just prayed and I said, Jesus, I'm just going to let you quiet the storms. And he guided me along. And I joyfully followed him because of his tender kindness and his gentleness in my life. A few minutes later, I walked out into my fellowship space at church. And a pastor friend of mine from Tom was there, and I said, hey, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, he said, I'm really struggling. I had to let a pastor go, and we're having a reconciliation meeting here. And I just looked at him, and I put my hand on his shoulder, and I shared with him that passage from Mark chapter 4. And I said, you know, Jesus can quiet the storm. And he just looked at me, and he said, oh, I so needed to hear that today. And through me, Jesus guided him, and this is what Jesus does. The crux of Isaiah's passage is simply this. That this Jesus who was born is a sovereign shepherd. And both aspects of that are imperative. Because he has a shepherd's heart, he loves us and he longs to care for us. And because he is the sovereign Lord, he is capable of pulling it off. My friends, here is your God, the sovereign shepherd. Let me leave you with three questions, okay? Number one, how is Christ protecting you in your life right now? I encourage you to chat about that. Number two, how is Jesus expressing love to you? Number three, where is Jesus leading you today? Amen. Wasn't that good? Now, can I just uh, say that right now that I'm going to be a little bit late. It's, t- it's quarter to 12, and I'm probably going to be about 12, 15. So if people have to leave at 12, I can understand. But just we've had a little longer service today, and I hope that's okay. What I get out of the message that Pete just gave us, was God's love for mankind provides us with three major points. He gave us three, and, and I have a couple others. But the three points that I think that I want to talk this morning about regards to this is that, number one, God chooses the most insignificant people and processes to accomplish the greater things of life. Shepherds. Number two, no matter what our past is, God would choose to use us if we would allow ourselves to be used. Maybe we have some stuff in our life that is junk that we think we're unusable. But God's love says, no, I have something different. And then number three, God proves his love for us by giving us guidelines and rules that serve to protect us from the external and internal dangers of life. God's love is so great that he's concerned about the details. So let's talk about point number one. God chooses the most insignificant people to accomplish the greater things of life. Why did God use shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus? You ever think about that? I mean, on our viewpoint, I know as a child, and when we had all of our Christmas programs, the shepherds were always 
neat people. They were always groomed nicely, and there were always nothing. I, I, we never saw the bad in a shepherd. And in all honesty, when we go back and look at the Bible, and we go back previous societal issues or previous generations, shepherds weren't always bad. I did some research on some shepherds, and I found some interesting things. And let me read a little bit about what shepherds were. The Bible is filled with references to shepherds and sheep. Such great Old Testament patriarchs as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and David were all shepherds at some time in their lives. Yet in Jesus' time, the shepherds had, bad, had a bad reputation. Rabbinic, rabbinic literature lists shepherd as among the most despised occupations. Most of the time, they were thought of as thieves and were generally considered dishonest. Most shepherds at the time were hired hands, meaning that they were shepherding someone else's herd. Some of them might steal a sheep and report it to its owner that it has been lost or eaten by a lion. What I see interesting here is this. Satan is very predictable. You see, the, 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 the occupation or the call of a shepherd earlier in time was a good call. Abraham, David, shepherds, good things. But now time progresses and... The enemy is right there progressing with time, and now he's taking something that is going to impact the reputation of a shepherd, and he's going to distort what God called as good, and he's going to distort it for his purposes so that when it, when, when it comes time for God to use a shepherd again, they're going to be thieves and robbers and the lowest of the society. And how the devil just is so easily twisting and, and he's still twisting in my life. He's still twisting in your life. He's still twisting in this world. Anything that's godly, he twists it around to make it evil and evil as good. We, all, we see it all the time happening in our society. So into this social context of religious snobbery and class prejudice, God's son stepped forth. How surprising and significant that Father God handpicked lowly, unpretentious shepherds to first hear the joyous news, it's a boy, and he's the Messiah. What an affront to the religious leaders who were so conspicuously absent from the divine mailing list. <laughs> it is significant that shepherds were the first to hear the news of the birth of the Messiah and were the first to bear witness, the most humble and despised became the most honored. So shepherds of the day were broken people, and they were unclean people. Yet God chose them to announce the birth of his son, the Savior of all mankind, that he, God chose to use shepherds. And in this, it's a great picture of God's grace and his favor and how he looks at all men without looking at their social status. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what you do. He loves you as much as he loves anybody else. See, God sees the potential in the person in, the way, in what he made them to be, not what they currently are. There's hope there, folks. There's, there's joy there. God sees what, you, what he's purposed for you to be in your potential, not just what you are in your current state. 
totally different than the way man looks at people. We look at people from the outward side as to what they are today to be what they're supposed to be in the future. And God says, I don't see it that way. It's just like God to use a different approach than what we would use. In fact, it's, it's very consistent with the fact that he also brought Jesus into this world in a similar manner, that he did it in a lowly way, not in a grandiose way. If it was your choice, what would you have done with Jesus? How would you have brought Jesus into the world? Probably not the way God did. And then that brings us to point number two. No matter what our past is, God would choose to use us if we would allow ourselves to be used. We, in so many ways, are our own worst enemies on this one. Because we see ourselves as unworthy, uncapable, unholy, unrighteous. We see ourselves to be unusable by God because we don't really understand what grace is. Philip Yancey wrote in a book, What's So Amazing About Grace, and he says this, Grace is the last great word. There's nothing we can do to make God love us less. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. He loves us perfectly right now. That's called grace. Grace is crazy. God is crazy in love with you. You hear that? God is crazy about you. He made you. He sees the potential in you that he created you with, and he's crazy in love with you. Romans 8.1 says, there is not, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. What does that mean? It says, it says that we need to be broken by God's grace. We need to be broken down so that we allow ourselves to forgive ourselves. How many here this morning, you don't have to raise your hand, how many here this morning have a problem forgiving yourself maybe for something you've done in the past? God says, when I forgive, you need to forgive. You need to allow yourself to be who I'm potentially making you to be, not for who you think you are. Because I have something in plan for you. I have something in store for you that if you would only allow me to work in your life, and if you would leave your own past as it is, the past, and move with me into the future, I would make you into something that is worthwhile. Now and forever. See, we see ourselves not worthy, and God is trying to say, you know what, I've set you apart. I've set you apart. And, it, and, and he does, it. He, he, he gives us, as it says in Isaiah, he says that, that he gives us, in Isaiah uh, six, chapter 61, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and relief Release from darkness for the prisoner. See, that's, that's the beginning of God's redemption plan. He started this a long time ago. He didn't start it just with the birth of Christ, but it was prophesied that Jesus would be come in and, and that he would be the proclaimer of the gospel, the good news through the life of Jesus. See, God's plan is to set us free from the prison of brokenness and darkness that is in my life that I keep myself prisoner and captive to. And you keep yourselves prisoner and captive to the things that nobody else knows or sees in your life. And what the Lord is saying, I've come to set you free. 
That's what this whole service was about this morning. The whole service was about freedom this morning, about setting you free from the bondages of life. See, God sees us differently than we see ourselves. God sees you as forgiven because of His love for us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-10. through 10, God showed His love for us when He sent His only Son into the world to give us life. Real love isn't our love for God. Hear this but His love for us. God sent His Son to be the sacrifice by which our sins are forgiven. So God isn't dependent upon our love for Him that makes Him love. He's love because He's love and how it impacts us. God isn't waiting for me to love Him before He becomes love. He already is love, right, Calvin? We've talked about that. He already is love. And it's, it's His reflection, it's His shining His love on us that we reflect back to Him and back, back to others that all of a sudden now people are seeing God's love through us. Not my love, but it's God's love. See, so God sees me as forgiven. He sees you as forgiven. He also sees us, you and me personally, as a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, I love the word therefore. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. Amen. We're not the same people. We talked about change in Sunday school today, about how we mutate. Thank God we mutate from the sinful man that we were into the new creation that God has made us. Thank God for change in our life. Sometimes change comes through hard times, doesn't it? Sometimes change isn't always coming through the good things in life. But thank God that God is faithful and His love is so overarching in our heart, so overpowering in our life that He will use whatever situation, whatever circumstance in your life, even if it's bad, because He wants to draw us closer to Him. Not push us away like we talked about, but draw us closer. We've been changed from a sinful, unloving man to a righteous man full of God's love. What a beautiful mutation that is. Now, what comes after that on a daily basis? Does God's love stop once we've committed our heart and life to Him? Or does it continue on in a little different level of maturation and a process of called living? Gives us, brings us to point three. God proves His love for us by giving us guidelines and rules that serve to protect us from external and internal dangers. See, this isn't, this isn't good because Jesus announced himself later in life as a shepherd. But not just a shepherd. He came as the good shepherd. See, again, the social context of the day where shepherds were not good. Shepherds were not a prosperous occupation, and they were not highly looked upon. But yet Jesus chose to identify himself as a shepherd because he was going to go back and take back what the enemy twisted around. And he says, you know what, devil? You have no right to twist what my father has said is good. Therefore, I'm coming back to tell people that I am the good shepherd, and you are powerless to stop this. 
You know, another word that came to my mind, um, Vicki, when you were talking in Sunday school about the unmutable, the word that came to my mind was mute as in quiet. That God is not, God cannot be quieted. God is unmutable. In other words, he cannot ever be shut up. He never can be stopped from speaking the truth. Because he's unmutable. Not, not only does he not change, but he cannot be quieted. His word comes through in all situations as we become muted. As we become quieted. As we mute our life. As we, as we turn on the mute button in our crazy, busy, hectic life. And we say, God, I want to be quiet before you and I want to hear you speak to me because you're unmutable. Therefore, speak to me. Speak peace into my life. Speak healing into my life. Speak your purpose into my life. Because you're the unmutable, unchanging, and unquietable God. Jesus, the great shepherd. Isaiah 40, verse 11. Pete read it. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. What better place can you be than close to the heart of God? Think about it. What, what better word picture can you even come up with to say for or a little sheep that's, that's tired or hurt or lame or uh, just torn up in life and then this shepherd, this good shepherd, the great shepherd comes and picks this little lamb up and brings him close to his heart. So you hear the heartbeat of the shepherd. Oh, that gives me peace. And then we continue to read on John chapter 10 about the great shepherd. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Isn't that a great word picture? Again, how Jesus, how God uses things that we can see as how God protects and how God watches over us. Jesus has established us in this passage. He's established his love and his commitment to the people that he came to save. See, he is the true shepherd and he willingly lays down and laid down his life to save the people that could not save themselves. Only he could save them. And basically what he's doing here, he's proving his love for us and that he only has our good and our best intention in his mind. He wants nothing bad to happen to us because he is protecting us as a shepherd protects his flock. And I find it so interesting that God chose to use the metaphor of Jesus, the good shepherd, at a time in society when shepherds were considered anything but good. And we see here that in this passage that God is, that Jesus is clearly identifying himself with a societal class of people 
for what their purpose is more than what their social standing is. God sees us differently as who we are, what our potential is, than what our standing is. Now, let's look at the shepherd for a minute. Let's put away the fact here that that the reputation of the shepherd at that time was was a hired hand and, and he was socially unclean and he was an outcast and he was unqualified to come into the temple. He was a thief. He was a homeless vagabond. He was a dangerous person. Quite honestly, he was unwelcome in the public because he was considered dangerous. And all of a sudden now we see Jesus identifying with a shepherd as a good shepherd. And, and let's look at the contrast then of what the good shepherd does versus the shepherd of the day was. See, the good shepherd cares for each one personally down to the youngest and to the weakest. He will go after those ones that are lost. He protects the shepherd, the flock, or the herd from predatory animals that would seek to devour them and at the same time protect the herd from their own selfless wandering. See, sheep are not the smartest animals. They, they will wander. They will get themselves into trouble on their own if they're not protected. Can anyone identify with that? <laughs> are we considered the smartest of animals sometimes? I mean, do we ever wander and get ourselves into problems because maybe we're not using the thinker that God has given us to use? Wow, I see some real identifying factors there for me in this one. The good shepherd is willing to sacrifice his own comforts of a good night's rest, for example, to, by laying in the doorway and protecting the flock from the predator as well as from themselves. In other words, when he's laying in the gate, nothing's getting in and nothing's getting out. We just think of the laying in the gate as protecting from the outside. But yet, if we really understood the rebellious heart of a man, we need to have somebody keeping us in as well. Because in our own rebellious nature, we'll want to go out and we'll want to explore. We'll want to see what the world has for us. And again, God is saying, I love you too much. If you just listen to me, if you just abide in the pen, if you would just stay where you're supposed to stay, um, you'll have a much better life. And then ultimately, he lays his life down for us. And he will go to the extreme of doing whatever he has to do to save the sheep. And he did. And he did. See, he says all of this, he goes through all of this purpose of sh proving that he is the good shepherd so that now we will have the reason to listen to him. The old saying goes, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. All right? Nobody cares how much you know if you don't love them. If you don't prove the fact that you have their best intention, they, will, they might think what you're saying is good, but they will misread it and say, well, what are you getting out of it? <laughs> What's your motivation? So until they know how much you love, they don't care how much you know. And Jesus is proving it to the point here to say, I am the good shepherd, and I go through all of this so that you will know that I have no other intention for you but for your own benefit. So now will you please listen to me? Will you please just listen and put away the, the false words of the, of the hired hand shepherd that will come with a motivation to steal and kill and destroy? 
But I am the good shepherd. I come nothing more than to bring you life and abundantly if you'll just listen to me. He gives boundaries for us to live in. He gives boundaries. And that's, that's the beautiful thing about, about godly love is that he establishes the boundaries. Just as, as Pete talked about the example of him, of he and Andy running and jumping over the fence. Have you not done that? Come on. We've all jumped over the fence, haven't we, once or twice in our life? Maybe more? Thinking that the grass is greener or there's more fun over there or that's really living only to find out that there's a big angry bull. <laughs> that must have been a funny experience to see that. I would have loved to see those kids' expressions. Yeah. But, you know, God's love for us can never be underestimated. I know many people get this, right? This little word for today. I want to go back and read one that, that was very appropriate. If you go back to look at Friday, December 20th, it talks here about relationship based on rules. And I want to read this. I know it's not polite to read in front of the public, but I need to read this because this is pretty, pretty good. Psalm 119 says this. The longest psalm in the Bible with 176 verses is a love song to God's law. We don't normally look at God's law in a loving way. Psalm, if you have, has anybody ever read 119? Yeah. Has anybody memorized it? 176 verses. That would be a great chapter to go memorize. I, I, I go for the ones like Jesus wept. <laughs> I can get that one. <laughs> All right, let me continue on. But you'll never understand the, the psalmist's enthusiasm about a moral code until you think about children playing near a cliff's edge. Without a fence, they're always in danger, never able to relax. Because of the fence, they can play freely and without fear. God's law is a safety fence that brings incredible freedom. Of course, it's only a matter of time until a kid starts to wonder what's on the other side of the fence. If he or she doesn't know or trust the fence builder, they hop the fence and fall over the cliff. And if they're fortunate enough to survive, they come back saying, like the psalmist, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. There's more to this story. God's law is not only a safety fence, it's also a mirror that shows us we can't live up to his standards without his help. Only when we realize that the fence builder loves us and wants the best for us are we happy to stay in the right side of the fence. The Ten Commandments begin with the words, I am the Lord thy God. Therefore, don't steal, don't kill, don't steal, etc. God speaks about the relationship first, then about the rules that govern it. The Christian life is not a question of rules or relationship, but rules based on relationship. It's morality because of intimacy with God. When you understand that, you'll trust whatever God asks of you. If you have this, go back and read that again. Underline it. It's an awesome thing. Jackie, would you come as we prepare to close this, this morning? You know, after you read something like this, and I would really encourage you to go look at Psalms 119 this afternoon. Go home and read that. It's 176 verses, so get a cup of coffee. Take a nap, whatever you got to do. But read through that and... And see the love of God come through his boundaries for us. 
and see that it's a good thing for us to have rules. The devil is so consistently twisting everything of God's nature to be evil, right? So, of course, if God says rules are good, of course the enemy is going to say, no, rules are bad. But who wants to live without rules? Think about it. Think about what it would be like to live in a society that doesn't have rules. It would be chaotic. And God is not a God of chaos. God is a God of order with rules and boundaries that as we've been proven now that his love is for us, not against us, that we should willingly listen to his rules and listen to God's word so that we are living our life in alignment with his rules because we know that he loves us. You see, the hired hand mentality of a shepherd is a world without love. The hired hand doesn't love his sheep. The hired hand is doing it because he gets a paycheck at the end of the day. And as soon as there's a threat that comes that would be to his safety, he's out of here. He's gone. Sheep, fend for yourself. I'll find another, I'll find another uh, person I'll work with down the road that's not so dangerous. <laughs> but that's the hired hand mentality. There's no love there. What kind of shepherd do you want? Who, who, who are you trusting with your, with your life? Let me tell you right now that you are a sheep. Whether you know it or not, you're a sheep. You're following one of two shepherds. You're either following the good shepherd or you're following the hired hand shepherd. Your choice. Nobody keeps you in the flock that you're in. You move to the shepherd that you want to go and line your life up with. So this morning, are you following the good shepherd? Are you following the shepherd that has proven his love to you over and over and over again? And are you willing now to then line your life up with him? See, this is such a message of love that just makes me bubble. I, I don't care what our society says. I, I don't care what politically correctness says. It's a pleasure. It's a, re- it's, it's, it's a, it's a right It is an honor to line my life up with God's Word and to live by it uncompromisingly. It's not hard. It's not something that we need to bow and shame to the world to say, no, thank you, I don't, because I do this. Because I line my life up with a good shepherd that really has the best in store for me. He really has the best in mind for me. I don't need to do the things of the world to be accepted by worldly principles. It's an honor. It's a privilege for us to think that way, for us to live that way. And I'll tell you, folks, that when we start living that way like it really is an honor, you will be so inviting to the world that people are going to ask you all the time, what's different about you? What's so special about you in your life that you can do things and be joyful and be happy in the midst of all the stuff going on? We don't have to be like the sheep in the British Isles that are being forced along and, and by sheepdogs. No, we want to be in the herd of the flock in Jerusalem where we're following the good shepherd willingly, right? Because we know his love for us is so overarching and so compassionate for us. Wow, that gives me hope. It gives me joy. 
Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, here's a question for the young at heart. And here's an answer to follow it. How can a young person stay in the path of purity? How many here are young at heart? Come on. We're all young. We're all young in the face of eternity. All right? So now, here's the question. How can you stay on the path of purity? Do you want to be on the path of purity, first of all? Do you want to be on that path? How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Man, can you believe that? That we have the right to obey God. It's like a great riches. It's like somebody gave me a million dollars. And it's my right to take it and spend it. It's my right to obey the word of God. We should rejoice in that. We shouldn't, re- we shouldn't be angry about it. We shouldn't be rebellious about it. We should rejoice that we have the right and the privilege to obey God. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Wow. I am giddy this morning because of this right we have. I'm happy. I'm filled with joy this morning because we know that I am living and I am following the great shepherd that is coming back for me someday and he is going to, he is going to, to give me the recompense or the blessings of obedience and righteousness and holiness and love. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We're so enthralled with who you are. We're so wrapped up, God, in in your mercy and your grace. But Lord, if there's one here this morning that isn't quite getting it, isn't quite ready to receive that, God, I pray that you would uh, just come into their heart this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit. That you would come in and you would just give them a challenge that that the challenge that you have for them is love and mercy and grace. As all eyes are closed this morning, and and anyone here that would say, you know what, I need a little help in this area, would you remember me this morning, Jesus? Would you remember me? Would anyone want to raise your hand and just make a declaration to say, I need a little help here this morning? I need a little assistance here this morning? And again, please don't look at this as you're the bad person. It's nothing to do with you a bad person. It's about you being honest with yourself to say, Jesus, I'm not all I think I am, and I need a little help here this morning. Because I'll tell you, my hands are up all the time. I see your hand. Thank you. My hands are up every day for this. I see your hand. Thank you. It's, it's your honesty here before the Lord that, 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 respond, that he responds to. He's not impressed with your strength. He's not impressed with your ability to survive. What he's impressed with is your honesty to say, you know what? I want to be led by the Good Shepherd. I want to be led by the Great Shepherd. I see your hands. That's so good. I, the more you raise your hands this morning, and I'm not, I'm not trying to create an altar call. I'm just trying to create worship. I'm just trying to create a sense of honesty in our hearts and lives. 
this morning that we recognize who this great shepherd is and that we're willing to follow him willingly and joyfully. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your honesty. Jackie, lead us in a song about God's love. Stand with me, if you will, and let's, uh, let's just sing a song of God's love, and then we'll wrap up. Father, thank you for loving us this morning. Thank you for giving us all you have, for proving your love to us, that we have nothing short of knowing and being able to trust you explicitly by by reading your word and by trusting that and by living according to that. So God, now I pray that you bless us as we go to our homes, as we continue to celebrate the Christmas and the New Year season ahead of us, that we see only you and we center point our life on you, Jesus. We focus our hearts on you and on your love. 
Bless us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.